Jesus. Oh, Jesus, it's all for you, Lord. You will receive worship from all generations in every tribe and tongue and nation. You alone are worthy, Jesus. Isn't it beautiful what God is doing across all the nations, all the age groups, all the economic um, diversity of the world that the Spirit of God is still touching the hearts of humans and drawing us to the God we were made to worship. So I just, um, I'm so proud of you, you kids because you worship, you worship. It's not about a dance move or an outward expression. It's about the first, the heart, adoring, and then the freedom to express that adoration. That was beautiful. Well, we're so, um, so, so thankful for just the, the privilege of gathering with you all to go after more of God this morning and even today and this weekend. There's no greater joy or privilege than to live in God's presence and fulfill his purpose for his glory. So this is a joy, Lord. This is a joy to be called of you to be called by God, to have a purpose, to be able, Lord, to serve you. And we thank you for this privilege. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Well, I want to um, just share a, a shortly just a few things, really not even a, a whole message, but just something I really felt um, prophetically during the worship. And it ties in a, a bit to what I was planning on preaching on, but this is the theme of what I feel God's saying to me personally and to us as just a body of believers here this weekend. I feel the, the Holy Spirit calling us afresh to be a people of praise and worship, a people of praise and worship. Now, when I was young, I grew up in church and I loved praise and worship at church. I loved the singing and, and the singing and sometimes the dancing and you know, not really having to listen to a preacher. You kind of get out of that with praise and worship. You can just kind of just have some fun in God's presence. That is not really the type of praise and worship that I'm gonna be talking to you about this morning. It may be a, a facet of it, a little tiny expression but I feel like God is calling us today to really be a people of praise and worship beyond the outward expression and in our hearts, praising him and worshiping him like he planned for Israel to starting in the Old Testament and then made possible through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna give you a few um, references to go back, if, you, if you're taking notes, then you can go back and read these when you get home, and then I'll read a few of them right now. But the reference to start is um, Exodus 20, verse three through six. So God brings, God reveals himself to Abraham, a man who by faith heard the voice of God and left everything to follow the God who revealed himself. God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham begins to follow God. God begins to give 
great big bold promises to Abraham about a nation that's going to follow after God through Abraham's seed. Skip forward a few books in the Bible. The people of God that came through Abraham are now in captivity in Egypt. Their cry of misery reaches God and God sends a deliverer. This is all in the book of Exodus. The story of Abraham starts in Genesis and then Exodus is about the people that came through Abraham who were created to be like a praise people, meaning they were made to declare God's goodness among the nations, God's glory among the nations. They get into captivity. So now they're slaves and they're miserable. Now, kids, slavery back then for a whole nation meant lots of hard work. It meant they didn't have any rights, a lot like slavery some today. And they, they were miserable. God's people were miserable. So their misery reaches God's, God's ears. God sends a deliverer, Moses. God works signs and wonders and brings them out of captivity into a place that he promised them. All the while, this is his purpose, is that Israel would be a people who would declare the praises of God among the nations and worship the Lord and serve him only. So when Moses and the Israelites get out of captivity, God begins to give Moses some instructions. Some instructions on how to have relationship with God. How to, how to live life, not like a slave in Egypt, but as the people of God. He begins to teach Moses and the Israelites, this is who you are. You are my chosen people. You're my chosen people. And now I'm going to tell you how my chosen people look while they live everyday life here on earth. So it starts in the Old Testament with Moses getting some instructions. And that's where we're going to pick up in Exodus 20. Now, all of this, this God's choosing these people, bringing them out of captivity, giving them great promises, lots of hope, a great future. It's all the goodness of God that he's revealing to these people. He's revealing himself. God in heaven is making himself known to people on earth. And not just revealing it to one person like Moses, but wanting to reveal himself, not just to one nation of Israel, but through Israel, reveal himself to all the nations of the earth. So that everybody on planet earth can know how good God is and experience the fullness of abundant life that he created them to have. So Moses gets some instructions in Exodus 20. Let me open my notes here. Exodus 20. Let me get there real quick. Are you guys awake? Okay. So how many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? We're taking it way back, aren't we? God starts Israel's kind of new freedom, new relationship by giving them some things to do with their behavior, the way they live, the choices that they make, so that they can continue to experience the goodness of God in the land that they're living. The things that he's telling them to do 
are for their good so they can know peace and not misery. He just brought them out of misery. And now he's bringing them in to promise. He's telling them really big, bold things like, if you're willing and obedient, you're going to eat some really good fruit. Your life is going to be tastier than it was in captivity. If you follow me, Israel, you're not just going to know me, but you are going to benefit from your relationship with me. And not just you, Israel, but all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by knowing me through you. So why am I saying that? Because God's commands, as it says in John, um, 1 John, they're not burdensome. It's not like God is a parent that's in a bad mood, ticked off at you, just trying to make you suffer for your own for your own stupidity. God, Jesus says, is a perfect father. And everything he does is ultimately because he loves us. So when he tells us ways to live, it's not because he's a control freak, even though he is sovereign over everything. We still have a choice. He's wanting us to choose so that we can experience the goodness of God and abundant life that he's made available to us. This is really important for you kids to get because I have found it very helpful for me personally when I'm reading something in the word of God or in a, in a, in a message in a church service and somebody, somebody says something kind of hard, like listen, maybe some of the stuff that you heard last night in the service, you just thought, man, that seems like excessive. Why would God ask me to do that? Why would I have to do that? Because that's, that's unpleasant. That's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's like, sometimes God asks us to do things and it's like um, a mom asking a toddler to eat broccoli. It's like there's nothing in the toddler that wants to eat the broccoli. But why would, why would the mom do that? Because she knows what's good for the toddler. I know that's so simple, but that revelation of this, that God is so for me, and that he loves me, that revelation, that understanding has to be the foundation for all our obedience. Otherwise, you will continually think you're doing God a favor by obeying him and not realize he's doing the favor by telling you what to do. When you think that God is some kind of weird macho God up there who's just really moral, out of touch with reality, out of touch with impulses and, and how life is here on earth, you're really going to struggle with desire to obey him. But when you understand his heart towards you, you get pulled, that love, it pulls you out. It pulls you out of this grit the teeth and bear it. I'm not saying you never have to grit your teeth and bear it, but I'm talking about your default. Your starting point moves from consistently being I'm going to do this because he tells me to do it. And I understand why he tells me to do it, but I'm going to do it. It shifts to if I obey him, 
I know he's always leading me to life. I know that he's always leading me to peace and joy and his goodness. So, I, so God starts this conversation with Israel about their new life and freedom with, with Exodus 20, verse 2. Or verse 1, God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Step one for interacting and living a life good on earth. Verse three, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Listen to that last line. I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You know what, sometimes you read a verse like that and you get hung up on one bit that may be hard to understand. You read that, you say, man, I'm being punished for my mom's mistakes? That's awful. You've got to keep reading the Bible. You don't just stop. You keep reading because it's a story that's unfolding. The goodness of God is unfolding in this. And sometimes you'll read something that doesn't make any sense. You keep reading. You keep journeying with God. And he reveals himself to you. You don't get to read for one hour and then get a full understanding of everything that God is and says in this book. You could study this book for your entire life and you still won't have close to a full understanding of all that God is and how much he loves you. Why do I say that to you? I say because you've got to be okay with not knowing it all. (laughs) Somebody just needs to be liberated by that. God's goodness is revealed. It's going to be continued to reveal all throughout eternity. So God says, this is the starting point. Don't worship any idols. So then, guess what happens right after this experience where Moses is on the mountain? 40 days he's up there. He comes down the mountain, and you know what Israel has done? They have made themselves an idol. What? How many of you have read that before and you're like, man, those people... I've read that lots of times, and I was like, if I was was Israel, and I was there, and God had parted the Red Sea for me, and I saw all those plagues, and I saw what God did to Pharaoh, man, I would not be bowing down to a golden calf. And if Aaron asked me for my gold earrings, I would have said, Aaron, worship the Lord and serve him only. But you know what? It's easy for us to think that we're kind of outside that story because we live in a different culture. We live in a different time. Now the idols that we have in our culture, first of all, what is an idol? First, let's go to that. Let's think of what is an idol because you know what? Even in the New Testament, even in the very end of the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, we're instructed, children, stay away 
from idols. Paul saying, don't give in to greed, which is idolatry. So the command, even in the new covenant, even after Jesus, after the blood, after the cross, after the resurrection, we're still, we're still getting this command, this instruction. You can't serve two masters. You can't worship two gods. You love one and despise the other. We're still getting this instruction. So that means that the command, the advice, the wisdom of God not to worship idols, it's not just about golden calves. And the, the key word for me is that word that we just read, affection and worship. So an idol is when you take an incomplete joy of this world. For the Israelites in that particular story, it was gold. Gold is a good thing that God has given us here on planet Earth. We would all agree, anybody, no matter time or season, you come across gold, that's a positive thing. An idol is that good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. It's a good thing but it's an incomplete joy. And an idol is an incomplete joy that you build your whole life on. An idol is what you worship, meaning it's what you love, what you trust in, and what you obey. So kids, let me break this down for you. It's the things in our lives, and this is the thing that we read through this whole Bible, is everybody has to resist idols while you're on planet Earth. Nobody gets a pass, gets like this thing in them where they are never tempted. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that now you have no temptation. And the enemy tempts you, the world tempts you in the areas of your potential idols. The idols, the things that you have an obsessive concern about. So when I was young, some of the temptation of the idols were things like fitting in with the cool people. Now certainly that was not a wooden statue in my bedroom. But man, I loved it. When I really loved it, it brought me some kind of joy and pleasure to fit in sometimes that a joy and pleasure that I didn't experience in a lot of other places. Or maybe it's what I trust in, thinking if I have that, if I'm accepted, if that person likes me, or if this happens between mom and dad, or this happens, then, then I'll be secure. I can trust that if that comes through, I'm gonna be happy. If that comes through, I trust I'm finally gonna be content. If that happens, if that career promotion or that relationship works out, then I know my happiness level is going to go from negative 20 to plus 2,000. It's this obsessive concern, this thing that you think, it's this elusive desire that's legitimate but never meant to be the ultimate source. 
never meant to be the ultimate source of our happiness, our joy, our contentment. And it's what we obey. If money is our idol and we have certain goals, we're willing to sacrifice anything to obey what our idol is. The whisper of the Holy Spirit could come to do something contradicting what the idol is demanding to reach a certain point or goal of career achievement. And when we have that choice between this and that, we choose obedience to whatever is our master. So your idols, kids, are things different than wood, hay, and stubble, but it could be things like your phone. As simple as that. What do you have an obsessive concern about? What do you think you couldn't live without? Family sometimes. A good thing that God gives us becoming an ultimate thing. Oh, if my husband ever passed away, I would fall apart. I would not be able to live. Now, I, I had a dream one time. This is one of the worst dreams of my life, okay? Can I be very honest? Will you not tell anybody that I had this dream? A few years ago, I had this dream that, um, and all you dream interpreters, don't interpret this dream. I'm not telling you to interpret it, okay? I've already interpreted it. Thank you. <laughs> I had this dream, and in the dream, my husband died. It was terrible. I was so devastated. In the dream, I fell apart. Have you ever had those dreams where your grief in the dream is so real, like you physically in the dream feel like you're dying of grief? Some of you have experienced that in real life. In the dream, I fall apart, and, I, and I'm saying, I can't live anymore. I was just like so, so devastated that Joe had passed away. And I woke up the next morning. First of all, you know, you're, you're kind of ticked off when you have a bad dream. You're like, I'm supposed to be dreaming about heavens and angels and good things, and now I'm dreaming about this. What is going on? And the Holy Spirit told me, you're on the verge of idolatry if you think you cannot live without Joe. And why am I, why am I telling you that vulnerable? Because I'm saying to you, if there's something in your life that you think if that, if that was taken away, my world would fall apart and never recover then you have put your love, trust, affection in something that is what Jesus said is sinking sand. If we build our life, our source of security, stability, contentment, happiness, ultimately on a foundation other than Jesus, when storms come, we collapse. And this is the thing about that word. It's not saying that you, have to, you can never have a marriage or any of these good things. It's saying, is it the foundation that you're built on? Is your contentment attached to that foundation? So if it's ripped out, then your contentment never recovers. Is your confidence... The way you feel about yourself, is it built on that boyfriend or that person's opinion? So that if that comes out, you collapse. 
Jesus is clear and the Bible is very clear. There is only one rock that you can build your life on and not be shaken. You may have emotions and grief and trauma, but you are able to bounce back up eventually. You have a foundation that can take the storms of life. And this is what Israel is called. It's called, Israel is called to be a people whose love and obedience and affection is founded on the God who saved them. Instead of on these cultural idols. And when God told them to go into the other lands, he told them, he warned them. He said, do not worship the gods of the lands that you're going into. Because idol worship is contagious. Don't you ever feel that? You hang out with some people, like sometimes you go, and, and also God said, don't worship the God of your forefathers that were idols. And Ezekiel, it's going all about how they started to worship, and then they would go back to the idols that their parents had. And then they would get shaken, and God would redeem them, and they'd move forward and worship, and then they'd go back to the gods that their parents had. Because not all of your parents have the right God. But you'll be pulled in the direction of the people that you hang around. And sometimes you need to know that your value system and what's important to you is just plain different than what's important to other people. What matters to you, what you're obsessively concerned about, what you think about, how do you, here's, here's a few questions. Can I ask you a few questions about worship? Okay, because this is what I know about my own heart. I sometimes have a hard time discerning my heart's true love. I've got the words right and I can do the outward expression, sometimes like a robot. But what does my heart's true love really enthrone? Okay, are you ready? Question one. What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? Archbishop William Temple says, your religion is what you do with your solitude. When there's no demand on your thought life, when nobody is forcing your thoughts, where do your thoughts constantly go? Painful, isn't it? I'm preaching to myself this morning. I said, Lord, are you going to let me preach this even though I don't live this yet? <laughs> this is our pursuit, purity, and worship. This will always be my pursuit. I will always be pursuing true worship to God. What do your thoughts just, what do your imagination goes to? David says, David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he was a king. He had lots of drama in his life, right? People out to kill him. His sin issues that he overcame. Thank you, Jesus. What am I telling you? David's life was very much like a human life on earth. Opposition, drama, family problems, severe family problems, uh, some painful immorality, death of a child, lots of pressure, lots of stress. 
And I often use stress and pressure to excuse the default current of my mind. I, th- I would think, well, Lord, this is just a season and it's been really intense. I know you're merciful and you understand. And yes, God understands. God's not going to zap me with lightning because I am um, struggling. He's committed to me, fiercely loyal to me, wooing me. Like Hosea, how did he, in the book of Hosea, you, you guys should go read Hosea. God tells Hosea to marry an adulterous wife. And then he tells Hosea, I want you to woo her back, buy her back. And that's what I'm going to do to Israel. I'm going to woo her back. So what, how do you know these idols? What do your thoughts go to? What do you habitually think about? David said, I lie awake thinking about you through the watches of the night. I meditate on your word. How could he say that in light of all of his drama? He had a holy obsession with the God who revealed himself to him. Where do your thoughts go? Next question, how to know the true love's affections of your heart. Where does your money go? Matthew 6, 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, kids, I know what you're going to say, because I've been a kid before. I said, and you know what? Adults say this, too. It's not a kid thing. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You do have money. I know you have money. I know you got a grandma somewhere who gives you some money. Or a grandpa or an auntie or somebody. I know you find a coin somewhere. I'm telling you, it's not about how much. It's about where does it consistently go when it comes. It's like cows that have that path where they go to the stalls. And it's tread through the grass and it's just habit. Where's that consistent path of money going? And this this is convicting. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 9. If God in his grace, this isn't quoting that passage, this is paraphrasing. If God in his grace is the thing in the world you love most, you will give your money away to ministry, charity, the poor, the church, in astonishing amounts. This is the New Testament. This is the generosity. This is Jesus and the rich young ruler. I had a dream the other night. Another, y'all need to probably get some good dreams, Okay. I had another dream. In the dream, I was in this room with this minister who I really respect. But his message is so challenging. He's a pastor missionary. And he carries this really radical message about the Western church living with the desperation and devotion of the third world countries, but the generosity that the, the Western church is meant to have. So his, his message is really convicting about really, are you really, really following Jesus? Does your pocketbook show and all that? So I'm in this room with him. I'm kind of like honored and a little bit like scared to be in the room because I know he's going to challenge me. And I hear the voice of the Lord say in the dream, give me all your extra. And I said, Lord, I thought, I don't have any extra. You got the wrong person. And immediately I I heard the voice. I heard the scripture of Paul saying, if we have food, shelter, and clothing, let us be content. And then I saw the number, the exact number of my extra. And I thought, whoa, God, 
I do have extra. I've been pondering and chewing that and thinking, God's saying, give me all my extra. You know what a cultural idol is? Materialism. Houses, clothes, the way we look, spending money on things that if you put a match to it, it burns. And God's calling some of us. Now, is God going to call everybody to do the same thing? Um, Practically, it will look different, but the baseline will be this. You must be willing to live in this world unattached to riches. That's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, instruct the rich to not put their trust or confidence in riches, to live unattached to them. This is like this item here. Unattached means it can come to me, but it's it's not going to stay there long. It's unattached. It has freedom to come and go. Where your money is, there your real treasure is. And I felt the message of that dream is God saying to the Western church, don't tell me you don't have extra. Don't tell me you don't have extra. And why does he give us this command? Why would God tell me something? You never think like, well, Lord, haven't I given enough? Again, let's go back to what we just talked about. Because he wants to lead you to the ultimate desire in your heart. So you go in your prayer time, and you're praying, praying, praying certain things for yourself. Lord, I want this. God, I pray for this. Peace, joy, more infilling, more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you, Holy Spirit. Then you go throughout your day. You have a dream, or somebody gives you a word, or you read a scripture. God says something uncomfortable, like, give me your extra. You say, no, no, that has nothing to do with what I prayed over here. I prayed for more outpouring, more impact, more fruit for your glory. I want to know you more. I want to follow you more. I want purity of heart. And then God's over here giving you the exact thing you need to do to get the fulfilled desire. He leads you into everlasting life. You cannot disregard what he asks you to do. You cannot disregard how many times Jesus emphasized obedience to his commands. Why do I say that? Because some of you, you feel so discontent with your Christianity. You're like, man, is this really Christianity? And I'm telling you, Christianity is this lifestyle of obedience to Jesus. In every step of obedience and love leads you to more and more of Christ. If you're wanting to experience the goodness of God, but you're not willing to leave Egypt or lay behind idols, then you're just setting yourself up for that disappointment. God wants to reveal himself to you, but he wants you to make him The God that you worship. The God that you trust and love and obey. How do you get rid of idols? You can't just repent of them. You have to replace them. And you can't just repent and replace it with God. You have to then rejoice in God. If you repent and replace but you never rejoice, you'll go back to idolatry. 
because your heart will always be looking for fullness of joy. You will always be looking for contentment. You will always be looking for peace in the sense of you were meant to experience that continually like daily bread, like you eat every day. You are meant to feast on the goodness of God every day. Have this relationship with God that really does supply joy in his presence. I mean, think about it. Why do you sometimes feel even enticed by these things? More money, more houses, a great relationship, some guilt-free sex. Why do you even desire these things? These are things that God has given us for our good pleasure, Paul says. He gives us these things for our pleasure, but they're never meant to be the ultimate pleasure. They're never meant to be the ultimate. They're gifts, but just like Paul says in Romans 1, our idolatry is we worship the giver of the gifts. We worship the gifts itself instead of the one who gives the gifts. So I want to challenge us. Okay, in closing, I want to talk about Colossians 3. What do I mean by worship? I mean that your obedience, your trust, your affection, your heart is really really devoted more like Jesus said when he was calling disciples he said you have to hate by comparison everybody else if you want to follow me that's so severe and he's not wanting you to like turn down the dial of your love to other humans he wants you to love other humans but he's saying you'll only properly function when you love me first and supreme when really you love me with all your heart soul mind and strength then you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself Colossians 3, verse 1, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And then it goes on and on, and I love Colossians 3. It's one of my favorite, favorite chapters. But first, first, how do you get rid of the idols? How do you, how do you do it? Is you've got to set your affection back on what Christ has done and who he is. And let me tell you what that takes. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit, which as you read through the Bible, you'll see the goodness of God. Finally, God just put the very Spirit of God in the Israelites so that they would worship him. He, he now put the Spirit of God so that they have power to follow him. And you have power in the Holy Spirit to worship the one true living God and serve him only. There's no excuse now. Because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. But first, you've got, to, you've got to understand, you're not gonna love the things that you never taste. You've got to taste God in your everyday life. You've got to experience his goodness through the word, through worship. You've gotta make your mind meditate. You've gotta tap into the grace of God and even the spiritual disciplines. You know, if you want God's grace, Sometimes you just have to do the things that God says to do, and then that's like a faucet that turns on the grace of God. You, when you fast, psh, the faucet turns on. You're whining about the grace of God, but I, I've been there. I, this, I'm only preaching what the Holy Spirit has preached to me. Where's the grace? 
When are you doing what I've already told you to do? It turns on God's grace like a spigot. When you give, when you pray, you've got to do the things that God says in his word to do. And it opens the grace. What is the grace? It's the ability to do what God asks you to do. It's empowerment for it. And it flows when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Set your minds on the things above. Put off your old man, is verse 5. Put to death the sinful earthly things. You used to do these things, but this is not who your new life is. God chose you. Replace it with worship. I want to encourage you guys. I know how busy life is. If you're, I have found in my own life, if I'm not taking regular time to just worship, meaning like I'm going to sit, and worship means lots of different things, obedience, affection, all that, but to sit and set my affection and think about what Christ has done and how much he loves me, everything else becomes cranky. If I lose sight of what he's done for me, all my other good stuff just gets a little sour tasting because nothing in my life is meant to flow without the faucet of understanding how much he gave me first. You need to set aside time, young people, to put the worship music on, to read the word, to read Psalms, to meditate on it, to think about it, to picture it. And stir your affections for God. You've got to set your heart on that. Even what um, Joe was saying in, in Romans 8. God has given us all of these things in Christ. You've got to meditate on that until your senses can taste it, smell it, feel it, hear it. The goodness of God in Christ and what he's done for you how much he loves you, how he's always for you. You repent. When you feel tempted, when you feel like you care about something else more than God, you tell him. You tell him. You say, Lord, you know what? Right now, um, I think I may actually be worshiping Joe, but I know in my heart of hearts I want to worship you. I want you to be the ultimate, the one thing. My source for every provision, my source for every contentment, my source for every comfort, Lord. And repentance is you just saying that out loud and saying, Holy Spirit, I tap into your grace. I'm going to go a different direction right now. And then you rejoice in God. I love what George Mueller said. He said that he found he was a missionary. He did amazing things. I'm sure so many of you have heard his story I wish I could remember the quote exactly, but he said, after years of serving God, years of praying and preaching, fasting, serving in the very poor, the, he said, I found the most important thing is that every morning I establish my heart is happy in God. What does that mean? That means you've got to tap in. You've got to set your mind. You've got to get this, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of every pleasure, of everything that your heart is really hungry for. Oh, David said he satisfies me more than the richest feast. I'm happier with him, David said, than when the harvest is overflowing and there's new wine and abundance. 
Paul said it like this. Paul said, I can be content no matter what. Food, no food. Clothing, no clothing. A lot, a little. I've got this one thing that I have my joy rooted in, and it's Jesus Christ. And because of that, no matter what comes, hell or high water, I've got a tap, I've got a source that my life is founded on. And it's real, it's not just up here, it's in here. It's in my senses, it's in my blood flow. It's not some abstract belief that I've got to ascend to, it's right here in my belly. The river of God, and I've just got to get centered around it. Why don't we stand to our feet? I've learned sometimes what my heart really cares about. Listen here for a second. There are some things God asked me to do and I can do it immediately. Immediate obedience. There are some things God asked me to do and I know he's touching on an idol because my first thing, my first thought is, well, I don't know if that was God. Because, you know, I, I, I kind of, the narrative goes, because, well, I know he's really kind and he's really good. And um, he wouldn't want me to suffer. But then because I read the word consistently, I feel convicted again. Because I read that word and I see what God asked even Jesus to do. In Isaiah 53, it says it was his good will to crush him. For the reward of all eternity he was about to get. And when I read the word, I'm reminded that yes, God is kind. Therefore, this is what he asks of me. Because he knows what I really want. It's like a little girl. Have you heard the story about the little girl who had the fake strand of pearls? And she loved the fake pearls so much. And her daddy had bought her a new present. Very valuable real pearls and the daddy said to her sweetheart will you give me your pearl necklace and she says daddy I can't give you this pearl necklace this is my favorite possession in all the world you're asking me to give you the thing I love most I'll give you a teddy bear I've got this 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 and this that I can do for you and how many of you do that sometimes I know I do that sometimes God asked me of something I say okay let's chat so far this is what I've given or I'm willing if you if that doesn't count I'm willing to freely give you all of this but surely not the most valuable thing in my eyes on this earth and then the, she gives it to her dad because she says I give it to you daddy I love you and then he pulls out the real strand of pearls and she's overjoyed that story because it says this God's goodness is always beyond what we can comprehend in that moment where he's asking us for something his goodness is about to be revealed to you in a way that you've never experienced before his goodness to us it's always beyond even what we think is good. Jesus said this about the Father on earth. He said, if your evil earthly fathers are willing to do this, how much more? Paul said, if God has given us Jesus, how much more will he freely give us all these things? I believe God
God's calling us to be a people of worship and praise where no matter the circumstances, our affection, our adoration, our life is built around Him, revolves around Him. Our praise is no matter the hardship in the wilderness, no water, no bread, that we're still proclaiming the goodness of God and bringing us out of Egypt. Lift up your hands. I want to first, let's scoot back. Let's just create space.
Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we trust in you to fall upon our hearts and lead us into true devotion and undivided hearts, Lord. And as Olivia is singing, as we're worshiping, I want you worshiping. And I want you to keep responding to this call and be completely just yielded to whatever the 